Hi, everyone. Hello, those of you who are joining online. In case we haven't met, my name is Jason Rummel. This is Equipped 2020, second session. This is super exciting. I've been looking forward to uh, teaching this evening. Uh, we are in the second meeting of this Equipped series for the summer, and we're loosely calling the theme because of what Jesus has done, we can fill in the blank, okay? So last week, Joe said, ended that sentence with forgive. Because of what Jesus has done, we can forgive. In the coming weeks, there are going to be other teachers teaching. They're going to end that sentence with love, serve, give, take up your cross, Tonight, though, I'm teaching because of what Jesus has accomplished for us, we can rest. Rest, which is why I decided to sit on this stool. <laughs> uh, before we get into the actual teaching, a little note on protocol, all right? So those of you who are at home can't see this, but there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 26 people here, um, and then hopefully 26,000 watching who knows where from around the world. If you've been at equipped classes in the past, in past summers, one of my favorite things about these classes is they're super informal. Um, it is not unusual while we're in the middle of, of equipped, which typically happens out in the lobby, um, it's not unusual for people to interrupt and be like, hey, wait, I, uh, can you explain that a little more clearly? Or, hey, I have a thought about that. And that's what's really great about these classes because, you know, we, we, don't, we wouldn't normally do that on a Sunday morning. But at Equipped, we can kind of make these more uh, interactive, conversational, participatory. And I would love for that to be that way this evening. In fact, I'm going to, uh, hopefully, as the Lord leads, I'm going to throw some questions out to those of you who are here, whether you're here online or here in the, the building, I want to give you a little heads up. I'm going to give you the first question right now so that you have a little bit of time to think, and I'll ask you for the answer in a bit. My first question to you is, what do you think of when you hear the word rest? All right, someone says rest, what pops into your mind? So process that in a minute. The interactive thing that I'm hoping for tonight is a little tricky because we got people here and we got people at home. So um, here's what I'm hoping. If you are home watching this uh, on video or on your computer or whatever, there should be a phone number on your screen, which is typically the church cell phone number, but we realized at the last minute that the church cell phone is accidentally not in this building. So it's actually my cell phone number. So you can text me anytime. I'm going to probably not catch everything that you say or send in until we get to the end, and then I'll, I'll check to see uh, what you'd like to ask or contribute. Uh, for those of you who are here on site, I mean this when I say it, feel free to jump in at any time. I am happy to stop and uh, have you guys throw in whatever the Lord has put on your mind. Keep in mind that what you do say here in this room it would be good if the people at home could hear it, and they're only going to hear it if I say it through this microphone. So I'm going to need to sort of sum up and repeat everything you say. So just keep that in mind if you, if you decide to share or ask a question. Do your best, if you're in the room, to ignore the fact that there's a camera there. Okay, like sometimes that freezes people up. I don't want to interrupt. I don't want to do anything because there's a camera. It's okay. People at home won't care. All right? 
So here's our goal for the evening. We have a couple of goals. We're going to talk about rest, what it is as a noun. Remember, a noun in grammar is a person, place, or thing. So we're going to, we're going to talk about this thing called rest. Then we're going to talk about rest as a verb, the action of resting. And we're going to end with an acronym. And the acronym, I'll give you a heads up, it's CLAP, C-L-A-P. And when we get to the end, I'll tell you what all those stand for. We good so far? All right, let's pray. And then we'll, I'll, I'll ask my first question. You can start giving your answers to what popped into your mind when you thought of rest. All right, let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful to you for this beautiful day. We're thankful it's the day that you made. We're thankful, Lord, that you have prepared us to uh, hear your word. Lord, I ask that you would help me to speak the words that you desire for everyone to hear this evening. And Lord, open the ears of those who are listening. Open my ears to hear your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So word association, rest. What made me think of this was years and years ago, uh, I played this game, the word association game, uh, and the person who was teaching said, Jason Rummel, what pops into your mind when I say the word horse? And it seems so simple, but what was amazing to me was when he said the word horse, what I didn't see in my mind was the word H-O-R-S-E. Like you don't, my mind doesn't, and probably your mind doesn't process things like that. If you say the word horse, I saw immediately like a very descriptive image of a horse. It was a brown horse with a white blaze and a black mane and tail. It was standing on rolling green hills with a breeze and the blue sky and some clouds and a forest in the past. And it all happened like that, you know? And I thought, I wonder, because the Lord has made our brains work like that, what's happening in your brain when we say that we're going to talk about rest. So, does anybody want to raise a hand and say, Tim McKelvey, what comes to mind? A nap. A nap. Okay. I thought you might say that. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be here, Tim. I thought you might say that. A nap, maybe in a hammock. I love a hammock. Anybody else? Yes, Lynn. I'm tired, yes. Sometimes when we, when, when we hear that word rest, we think that we need arrest because we're tired. Anybody else? Leal? <laughs> Sitting in a chair? Yeah, Keith? Okay, so Keith's thinking the same thing. The lazy boy with the little handle on the side, prop the feet up. Excellent, good. Rest is an interesting word. It's, it's not uh, unique. Um, a lot of words can be, can serve different uh, purposes within language. So like we said before, rest is a noun, rest is a verb, but when we think of rest as a noun, we can think of some of the things you guys already mentioned. Naps, um, sitting in the chair with the lazy boy, feet propped up. You might have thought vacation. You know, sometimes you go on vacation because you need a rest. If that's you, don't go on vacation with my family. Our vacations typically are very busy, and then when we come back, we need a rest from our vacation, right? So that's, that's the noun version of, of rest as just a word. We haven't gotten into the biblical definition yet. But then what's really funny to me, and I think bizarre about the word rest, is when you think of rest as an action. Because 
you can rest, right? And so it serves the purpose of a verb in grammar, which means it's an action word, but it means doing nothing. So it's the action of not taking action. Isn't that kind of strange? Um, and so it's an interesting little mystery just within the word, but when we get into the, what the Bible has to say about rest, when we find those little mysterious kind of things, that's where it really gets beautiful biblically. So we're going to talk about first uh, about rest as a noun, and we're really aiming toward rest as a verb toward the end of the, the, the stuff here. All right, now uh, a little disclaimer. The biblical idea of rest is extremely robust, and it deserves more of a uh, study and a handling than can rightly be given it in 40 minutes or so. I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to be speaking, but however long I speak, it's not going to be enough to cover everything that the Bible has to say about rest. So I would encourage you to study this on your own, explore this mystery on your own. It is all throughout the Bible, cover to cover, you're going to find the, the topic of biblical rest, all right? So it's not hard to find. Go look into this uh, yourself. Our text this evening is going to be from Hebrews, the end of chapter 3, into part of chapter 4. I'm going to start on uh, Hebrews 3, verse 7. I'm going to read to you eventually, because I'm going to break it up a little bit. I'm going to read to you 24 verses. 23 of them are about rest as a noun, as the thing. And the last one, chapter 4, verse 11, is going to be doing rest, okay? So here's where we go. We're, uh, here's where we're going to start. Hebrews 3, uh, starting in verse 7, if you're following along. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now we're going to hit the pause button right now because it's getting pretty thick, right? What are we talking about here? So first of all, this is, this is Hebrews. Here's my next question. Does anybody know who wrote Hebrews? I'm going to throw out an answer. Who wrote Hebrews? Exactly. It's great that there were crickets in the room because nobody knew the answer. The answer is, we don't know. 
Um, so it's, when you read about the book of Hebrews, a lot of people will refer to the writer as just the writer of Hebrews. Now, a lot of people think it's Paul, but we don't know that conclusively. Um, but we do know that this is a person who's writing to fellow Hebrews. So he's a Jew writing to Jewish brothers, all right? So what is the writer of Hebrews talking about? Well, the, the account of God's calling and choosing Israel in the Old Testament, starting with Abram before he became Abraham, that account, their eventual bondage in Egypt, their rescue out of Egypt, particularly the account of the first Passover where they were passed over by the Lord's judgment when they put the blood on the doorposts, his leading of them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, his presence with them in the, uh, in the temple, and their entrance into the promised land, a real actual physical promised land, that whole account is a parallel story with our own salvation story that we see in Jesus. You, you're probably aware of that, but let's, let's do the comparison really quickly. We, like Abram, were chosen by no merit of our own. We were passed over, we have been passed over by the Lord's judgment because of the blood of Jesus that purchased our rescue, just like they were rescued out of Egypt. God's presence is with us like it was with them. He leads us and guides us and protects us just like he led them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he will ultimately deliver us into a promised eternal land. And there are lots and lots of more parallels, but that's just kind of like the basics. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing is he's talking about this situation with the children of Israel who rebelled in, uh, after they were taken out of Egypt, and he's drawing parallels to what's happening in our current day. Jesus has come. He's died on the cross. He's, he's risen to new life. People are going out and preaching the gospel, and this is their opportunity to believe the Lord. So he's, he's drawing this parallel. And at the beginning of that passage, starting right away in verse 7, the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from Psalm 95. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down and look it up. It's very interesting. He's quoting from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, when he says that whole thing about, um, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion and on the day of testing in the wilderness. That whole passage is from Psalm 95. So what he's basically saying is, listen, these people who were rescued out of Egypt, they saw the plagues, they saw the Passover, they saw the Red Sea split in two, they saw the pillar of fire, they saw the cloud, they saw the Lord's presence on the mountain, they saw all this stuff, but yet they rebelled. They didn't believe that the Lord was who he said he was. And in the same way in our current time, post-Jesus ministry on earth, when people are preaching the gospel, we have the accounts of what Jesus did in this place. We have the accounts of who He is and what He's offering, and people are rebelling against that. He's saying, take care that you don't do now what they did all the way back then. And it's really important, too, for those of us who are born-again believers and we're processing this passage to be careful because he says, take care, brothers, right? 
we got to remember that he's not talking about Christian brothers. If he were talking about Christian brothers, then all of a sudden, listen to the rest of that verse. Take care, Christian brothers, let's pretend, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That sounds an awful lot like you can lose your salvation. You can be saved and then you can lose it. And as Charles Spurgeon often said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. You know, we would in a second. We can't earn our salvation on our own because we're not capable of earning it on our own. And in the same way, we're not capable of holding on to it. We need the Lord for that. And so this is not talking about that, a situation in which we can lose our salvation. He's talking about Hebrew Jewish brothers. He's saying, take care, my Jewish brothers, that this thing that happened before thousands of years ago, it's happening again. Do you see that it's happening again? Be careful that you're not having the same reaction that they had all the way back in the day, all right? Because then he goes on and he says, listen, who missed out? Wasn't, the, wasn't it the ones who wandered for 40 years because they didn't believe? They saw all those things, but they didn't believe. They died in the wilderness. They never entered the promised land because even though they saw all these proofs and evidence, um, they didn't believe. It wasn't united with faith. They didn't believe that the Lord was who he said he was. And, and the, the author is saying, don't let that happen again, okay? So here's, here's the parallel that he has set up. He's telling us in our current day, don't refuse the gospel. Don't refuse the message of the gospel. And so in this particular setting, so far, verses 7 through, I think it's 19, at the end of chapter 3, rest is a place. Rest is a place. The noun rest is a place. For the Israelites, it was an actual physical place across the Jordan River that many of them were not allowed to be into. For those of us today, we are waiting for a coming place, are we not? And if we're born again, then we have entrance into that rest, into that place, right? So, so far, rest, the noun, is this place. So, the parallel has been established. We see that the writer of, of Hebrews says that history is repeating itself. Be careful not to make the same mistake. And then he goes into chapter 4, and he's going to make a plea. So, before we get there, does anybody have any questions? I've got, a, I've got a text that may or may not be a question about this message. It may be from my children at home. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> um, any questions about what we've covered so far in chapter 3? All right. Well, you can text them to my phone if you think of any and don't feel comfortable interrupting. It's, it's all good. All right, so in chapter 4, we've set up the parallel, and now he's going to make a plea. And the beautiful thing about this plea is that it's just completely overflowing with hope. There's hope in this. Now, before I read this next passage, fair warning, this gets really mysterious sounding. This is one of those sections of Scripture where you can kind of like read it a whole bunch of times and think, Okay, I thought I had it, but now, I don't know, I got to go back and read this again. It's kind of strange. So, instead of like diving into every little tiny tidbit of this, which would be fun, but we don't have time, I'm going to just read the rest of this passage, uh, 1 through 10. I'm going to leave verse 11 till the end, but I'm going to read 1 through 10, and then I'm just going to try to 
tidy it up a little bit and present it as a, as a paraphrase maybe. It goes like this. This is starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So there were those who believed and there were those who were not united in that same faith because they didn't believe. For we who have believed enter that rest, that place, and he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, remember it was Joshua who actually took them across the Jordan River into the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. All right. So big mystery, a lot of mystery in there. Here's here's how we could maybe sum that up. Here's what I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. He's basically saying there's this crazy mystery going on that we don't perceive entirely because we're not God. The mystery is this. Way back at the beginning, God did all of his work for six days, and then the scriptures say on the seventh day he rested from all his works. He rested. He was done. Everything that he was ever going to do was already set in place. Well, if God rested and all his work is done, then how can we then start talking about those who believe and those who don't, those who are going to believe and those who aren't, those who should respond and believe? Isn't all that stuff already settled? Like, what are we, what are we talking about? How can that possibly be if, if the Lord has already settled into place everything that's going to be, and then has rested from all his works. And that's a, that's a crazy mystery to try to wrap your brains around. But I love how the writer of Hebrews handles it because he kind of like takes all of that and he says, he says, listen, here's your responsibility. Your responsibility is today. The Lord has fixed a day and it's called today which is kind of like almost humorous, you know? Like when you think of fixing a day, you think of a, a date. Like this is going to happen on this specific date. But today is every day, right? Yesterday, when we were in it, was today. Ten years ago, when we were in it, we were calling it today. Thousands of years ago, when these Israelites had a chance to see the Lord's works and respond in belief and be united in faith with those who believe, that was there today, right? Right? That was their moment to experience today. 
And tomorrow, if the Lord doesn't come again before then, there'll be a new today. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, your responsibility is today. That's the day that the Lord has fixed for you. As long as there is a today, there is hope. There's hope because today is the day that the Lord has made and today is the day of salvation. Now, if you are listening to this and you are a born-again believing Christian, you might be thinking right now, okay, this is all well and good, but everything you've said so far, Rummel, is for people who haven't believed yet, who haven't been born again yet. We've, I've been saved for 25 years. You're preaching the gospel to me again. If you, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, all right? The gospel is not just for unbelievers. Absolutely, I hope that there are people who are hearing this and hearing the Lord's voice in their heart and realizing I'm in need of a Savior and the Lord has given me an opportunity today to respond and be saved. I hope that's happening. But two things, I don't ever want to uh, preach to an assembly, whether it's on a Wednesday evening or a Sunday morning or anytime, a gathering of Christians and assume that every single person in the room is saved. We've heard, we've all heard lots and lots of accounts. We have people that we know, maybe we've experienced this in our own life. We've, we've heard the reports of people saying, I, I went to church for years. Like I was raised in the church. I went with my, my parents. That's just what we did. But it wasn't until I was 17, 18, 20, 25 years old where I suddenly, all of a sudden realized I've been going through the motions, but I'm not saved. I need a Savior. So we want to keep preaching the gospel no matter what, right? And the second thing, too, is in a little bit, we're going to get to kind of the life application of rest, like what we should do, what it means for us. And that's all well and good, but if we're not building any of these applicable life-changing kind of practices on a foundation of what Jesus Christ has done for us, that he paid for our sins, who deserved the penalty that he paid, but he took that penalty, died the death that we deserved, and then was raised to new life so that we can have new life. If we don't build on that foundation on a daily basis, then all the life application stuff is just kind of like, self-help nonsense, right? So we need to build on that strong foundation of the gospel. So the, the gospel message is for all of us, whether you're hearing it for the first time or for the umpteenth millionth time, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter. It's, it's good, good news, no matter how many times you've heard it. And I lost my spot. Uh, yes, okay, so we've got, we've got the parallel. He set up the parallel in chapter three between our current state of things, hearing the gospel, and their current state of things, which was current thousands of years ago, seeing what the Lord was doing. And then he has the plea that today is the day. You still have an opportunity. There's hope. You can respond to the Lord and believe today. That's the plea. All of that points to rest the thing. And I said this before, but if we, if we think about it, the Bible starts and ends with rest, doesn't it? The Lord created everything. And before the fall of man, there was this paradise. And that's, that was a place of rest, right? There was, there was no need for there to be work. There was no sin. It was a place of rest. Fall of man happens. 
66 books of the Bible later, we're waiting for a day that's being ushered in at the end of time where that paradise is coming back, right? The Lord's going to create it all anew. He's going to redeem all of this. And, and that's a place of rest. So it's, it's, the, it's the front and back cover of the Bible, right? Rest starts and ends the whole thing. So everything we've talked about so far has been this rest the noun. Now we're going to get into rest the verb. Um, and it involves Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. If you're following along, that's where we're starting. It goes like this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let me read that again. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail, may fall, sorry, by the same sort of disobedience. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, if you're paying close attention to grammar, that use of the word rest in that sentence sounded a lot like a noun, right? Strive to enter that rest. Well, it was, but here's why I consider that verse, verse kind of like the verb form of this whole idea. First of all, strive is a verb, right? We're striving to enter that rest. We're doing something. We're working at it to enter that rest. But what are we doing? What is the striving? Well, the striving to enter rest is by resting. We rest to rest. Get it? We're resting to be able to be in a place of rest. Here's what I mean by that. Resting is the action. It's something we do. How do we do it? All right? How do we do it? Well, let's get to our acronym. I told you there was an acronym coming. Uh, if you're not remembering what an acronym is, it's a word for each letter stands for something else, like the word scuba, self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. It's not just like this random word they made up for swimming underwater and still being able to breathe. It's an acronym, right? So our acronym tonight is CLAP. And this word CLAP represents a spectrum of rest. It's the rest spectrum. And the very end of that spectrum is where we want to be as we're striving to be resting. We're trying to rest and we're resting to get there. Let's start at the other end. We already, we already talked about this actually a little bit, so I'll just say it really quickly. The C stands for condemnation. We've already covered that. If you are not trusting in the Lord, if you are not born again, if you're not saved, then there is no rest. And the absence of rest is condemnation. That means that at the end of your life, or if the Lord comes again, you will not be able to enter His rest. And anything in this life that you experience that seems like rest is just a, a lie or a distraction away from your spiritual state of not having rest. So on the far scary end of that spectrum is condemnation. Now, that may sound scary, but remember, today is still called today. So there's hope. If you're sitting there listening to this and you think, okay, that might be me, this is your moment to respond to the Lord and call out and say, I need a Savior. Because then that condemnation is removed. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Let's go on to the next one. The L in CLAP stands for laziness. Laziness. So on, in your rest spectrum here, we're moving over a little bit. This is now someone who is saved, born again. You've been granted entrance into 
God's rest, but you're in a heart posture of saying, all right, my, my ticket is punched. <laughs> I, got, I got my fast track to heaven. I don't need to do anything. I'm going to prop my feet up on my lazy boy, my spiritual lazy boy, and just ride this out and do nothing. And that's a dangerous place to be. All right, it's a dangerous place because it's a complete absence of striving to rest. Here's why I say that's um, dangerous. First Peter 1 verses 5 through 10 says this, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. If you're resting in a posture of laziness, here's why it's dangerous. You can become ineffective, you can become unfruitful, you can become blind, and you can, what did it say? You can forget that, we, that you are cleansed from your former sins. We don't want that for any believing Christian. We want us to be doing what Peter's telling us to do, and that is striving to uh, supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness. So we want to avoid that posture of laziness. All right, let's move to the next spot on the rest spectrum, and this is one that I bet every person in this room or watching can relate to in some way at some point in your life. Hopefully not right now, but I bet if you're not there now, you've been there at some point. The A stands for anxiety. Anxiety. And that's the posture that says, am I saved? Am I not saved? Would the Lord really save someone like me who thinks the things that I think? You know, you're, you've, you're saved, you're, you're, a, you're a Christian walking with the Lord, but you have that temptation to think, would he really love someone who did what I just did or thought what I just thought or speaks what I just spoke? You know, like we've probably all been at that place in one place at one time or another. We, we talked about this last summer at, I think at youth camp, it might've been two summers ago, I'm losing track of time, but think of, this is where I want to talk about condemnation. Think about condemnation as having like capital C and small c. Um, if you are born again, there is therefore now no capital C condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like that is a true fact of the scriptures. There's no condemnation for you. But that does not change the fact that Christians are often attacked because we have an enemy who wants us to forget that, right? Wants us to forget that our sins have been passed over. And so little c condemnation comes along a lot of times. And so that's what can bring about that anxiety. And if you are experiencing that, a great place, like write this down. If this ever happens to you, go to this chapter of the Bible right away. Go to Romans 8. Romans 8 is like the condemnation killer. And, and if you go to Romans 8, 
read the first sentence and the last sentence. Okay, the first sentence is verse 1. The last actual whole sentence is verse 38 and 39. But here's, here's how it goes. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jump to the last sentence, starting in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So whatever it is that you're filling the blank in with, like, can the Lord love me and save me because I did that can't separate you from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ. That, that Romans 8 passage just removes whatever you're finishing that sentence with. Okay, so condemnation, laziness, anxiety. We want to be at the far end of this spectrum, though. This is where we are resting on a regular basis. We're, we're entering rest by resting. And the P stands for promise. I really wanted this to be assurance but C-L-A-A didn't spell a good word, right? <laughs> it's no such word. doesn't really stick in your head uh, if the acronym is C-L-A-A. So promise. We just talked about anxiety. And anxiety is when we're looking at ourselves and examining ourselves and seeing our own failures, right? Trusting in the promise comes from turning our eyes and looking at Jesus and looking at what he did and what he is able to. That's, that's what this whole series this summer is about. Because of what Jesus has done, this is what we can do, and this is what we can know, and this is what we can experience. So trusting in the promise comes by turning our eyes away from ourselves and instead looking at our Savior. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which might be my favorite passage in all of, this, of the Bible, says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's seated. Jesus is resting too. Jesus is resting too. All right, look to Jesus. Trust in him. Trust in what he has done. Trust in who he is. And in doing that, you exercise the rest muscle. All right, think of rest, the activity of rest as a muscle that can be exercised just like you exercise any other muscle. I was trying to think of how to demonstrate this and the best example I could come up with was this. I remember, and you probably do too, I remember learning how to drive. All right, I was 16. Uh, my mother taught me how to drive in this little Dodge something or other car. And I remember holding on to that steering wheel and like gripping it with all my might and driving down 219 from Evansburg to Johnstown. And as I'm going around every turn, I'm thinking, okay, I got to turn. I've got to make sure I'm staying in the middle of the lane. Oh, wait, I'm going too far. I need to overcompensate. You know, oh, wait, there's a truck passing. I'm going to freak out now. I hope it doesn't run us over. There was like all this constant engagement of thinking about what was going on while I was driving for the first time. Well, as the Lord would have it, in the past 
three and a half weeks or so, I've driven almost 4,000 miles. Okay, we did some traveling, and, and I put about 4,000 miles behind the steering wheel. And some of that driving was what, twisty, turny, up and down mountains where you really do have to concentrate. Some of it was straight line road for 100 miles and you got to concentrate so you just don't fall asleep and run off the road. But the vast, vast majority of it was driving down the highway, talking to my wife, talking to my kids, listening to the music, singing the songs, looking at the scenery, taking the exits, passing the cars, doing all those kind of things, and not really thinking about every little thing I'm doing while driving. Have you ever gotten to a place and you're like, how did I get here? You know, and you're like, seems kind of dangerous. Like I wasn't even really paying attention, but somehow I arrived where I was supposed to arrive, right? Exercising faith to be able to rest is kind of like that, all right? Um, there was a, I found a great quote by a missionary named Norman Grubb, um, and he actually was comparing resting to uh, learning a language, where it's, it's kind of like driving, you know, it's repetition, and you start out, and you're kind of struggling, but the more you do it, the, the more it just becomes second nature, and pretty soon you even think in that language. It just, like, it just happens without you even uh, realizing it. He said this, as you're exercising this rest muscle, muscle, as you're exercising putting your faith in Jesus on a regular daily basis, he says this, so it is in the spiritual labor of faith. The moment or period comes when we know every vestige of strain and labor is gone. We come to know that the old I is crucified with Christ, the new I has Christ as its permanent life. Spirit, that means my spirit, with his spirit have been fused into one, the branch grafted into the vine, the member joined to the body. The problem of resting becomes as natural as breathing. As you exercise that, that rest muscle, as you're placing your faith in Jesus on a regular basis, whether it's through a habitual reading of his scripture or setting aside time to pray or in a, a, an, a, an awareness to apply the Lord's wisdom and, and faith in him to the little situations that come up unexpectedly, um, as you're exercising that on a regular basis, rest, trust, becomes just a normal part of you. All right? Um, so that's where we want to be. We want to be on the far end of that rest spectrum where on a regular basis we are striving. And striving is a funny word because it sounds like, it sounds like the kind of work that's hard. You know, like I think of, um, I've got a project at my house I want to do at some point, who knows when, but it involves a lot of digging. <laughs> this is a project I'm not looking forward to, right? Like that's a kind of work that I think that is striving. You know, I'm going to be doing this in the summer. It's going to be hot. It's going to be sweaty. I'm going to be working at it hard. Um, and as we're striving to enter that rest, as we're striving to rest on a regular basis, there will be times when it is hard. If we're not in that habit right now, it may be hard right away. But as you keep doing it, as you keep doing it, and as you keep responding to the Lord and trusting Him with every little thing, it, it becomes built into us as we're made more in the likeness of Jesus. 
Amen? My, I want to leave you with just one last thing, and uh, this is going to make my kids happy if they're watching at home. There's a band that they have come to love, and they've taught me to love it too. It's called the Grey Havens. Uh, I won't tell you that story. There's a long story behind that band, but um, they're called the Grey Havens, and they just came out with a song while we were traveling, and uh, I had no idea this was coming, but they, they came out with this new song, and it's called Rest, which is just perfect timing, but the chorus of it goes like this. It's a prayer, and this is my prayer for you guys tonight and for me, for all of us who are listening. The chorus goes like this. It says, Father, bless your name. Let your kingdom come. Give me eyes. Help me see and believe your son. Give me faith. Let me rest in the work he's done because the work is done. So that's my prayer for you and for me because I need this too, is that we can rest in faith because of the work that he's done, because he really has done it. He's really done it, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, resting. That's a good thing. We're going to pray in a minute, but I want to give you opportunity to ask questions, and seriously, the only question I got the whole time was, what is the password for Disney Plus? I'll text yeah, it's not rest, but uh, (laughs) I would text them back right now, but I can't remember it, so. Anybody have any questions or things they want to add, thoughts you had while we were talking about rest? It's okay if you don't, but we can talk afterwards too. All right, well, let's pray, and then we'll close out this evening. All right, Father God, we are so very thankful to you, Lord. We're thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, and his work, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that work is done, Father. It is done. Lord, we are thankful that your word is true, that Jesus is seated at your right hand, resting until the time that you tell him to return to this place, and that is a day that we so, so look forward to. Father, we ask that you would help us Help us to have eyes to see. Help us to believe your son. Father, give us faith to trust you. Help us, Lord, to rest in the work that Jesus has done. And we ask all of that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're watching online, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week or this Sunday. And everybody else, we are dismissed. I'm glad you were here. It's nice to see you all.